Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Get your cape on. You got to go to work. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. He's a biter. Back off if you're attached to your fingers. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. In order to deal with your child's temperament, it's important to understand your own temperament. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. Every kid is different and no kid is 100% fat bell curve. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking about when parenting advice doesn't exactly fit. Yeah, I have been thinking about this. We were talking on a recent episode about my experience babysitting kids and sort of saying like, oh, those are the hard years and it gets easier and it brought to mind for me that sometimes we, I would say often we speak to kind of the fat part of the bell curve, we sometimes say, that it does get easier for most kids, Mm -hmm. let's say after the age of five. But there are kids for whom that is not true for a host of different reasons while that we will talk about. I am going to start with this quote from an article called One Size Doesn't Fit All. It is by Sarah Lyons. And she says, any mom of more than one child knows that every child is different and will react differently when faced with the same situation. They are also likely to react differently to the same parenting techniques. While it is important to be fair to all children, adjusting parenting style to fit the needs of each child can help with their development and long-term behavior. And I think that this overall picture is that this is true for unique children within our own family. This is true at different ages and stages, right? Like advice that fits your three-year-old may not fit that same kid when he's 13, And then it also fits for kids who are really much more outside the mold. We did do an episode called When Your Kid Doesn't Fit the Mold. So if this speaks to you, you may want to go back and listen to that episode as well. But here we're really focusing on parenting advice that may not fit specific kids. You know, I come at this thinking that like, it might not and that's fine. It's totally fine. But we've had Carla Nomberg on our show, 
she's like Steve Martin on Saturday Night Live. We've had her on twice because we like her so much. And anyway, <laughs> she's a repeat guest. The rare, rare repeat wow, guest. Wow, she's a repeat guest. The rare repeat guest. We generally say we don't repeat, but sometimes it has to happen. Carla Nomberg is amazing. And she talked in the last episode we had, so now I'll have to link to that episode as well. She talked about the second arrow, which is actually a Buddhist concept that she just talks about in her book. That the problem is like something happens and then you feel the second arrow of shame on top of this. And what I mean is when parenting advice doesn't fit your kid, that's okay that it doesn't fit your kid, but you feel, I think, then either a little bit of shame that that doesn't fit your kid or anger, like, well, you're not, you're not talking to my kid right now, both of which, like, all of those things can be true. It's fine that a parenting advice doesn't fit your kid, but the problem is, do we have a problem with that? And then, of course, the problem is, what do we do instead? Absolutely. I think that's exactly right. And that you just sort of feel like there is a default world in the same way that when the peach crayon is labeled flesh colored, mm. that that is not everyone's flesh color. <laughs> that is saying that like, we're talking to the important people, the white people, the peach people. <laughs> right. The regular skin color is white, right. That the default is peach and that everyone else then is excluded, left out or in the worst case scenario, like actively, we don't want you here if this is not the color of your flesh. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times, as with the peach crayon, that is not intentionally harmful, but it is passively harmful and it is still therefore harmful. It's that second arrow. Like I'm thinking of, this is years ago, I talked about taking my kids to a family funeral. A funeral, it was my brother-in-law's father. So it was not somebody that my kids knew really at all. But and they were pretty little. And I took them to this long funeral mass. And I just explained to them ahead of time that their uncle was going to be very sad. And what they needed to do was they needed to sit there. And I'm like, I think sometimes we can get good behavior from kids. People seemed very surprised that they were able to sit for an hour. I'm like, well, I just talked to them right before we went in. Like, this is so important to your uncle. So you're really going to do this. And I was proud of them. But I felt like it was possible because I don't play that card often. And I remember somebody writing in and being like, well, my kid's not neurotypical. My kid never be able to do that. Like, easy for you to say. It is easy for me to say. Like, you're totally right. That's easy for me to say. But what I was certainly not intending to do is say to this woman, I'm judging you, person who wouldn't bring her kid to a funeral because her kid wouldn't be able to handle that. You're right. My kids were in the fat part of the bell curve on that. And it was hurtful to somebody who perceived my thinking her kid outside of that wouldn't be, I wasn't even thinking about her kid. Of course she was. And there's the pain is in the gap. Yeah. And we do say often on the podcast that we are trying to call experts and information, but fundamentally we are speaking from our own experience. So that to say, here's a tip. If you only pull this card once every once in a while and you really right before you go in, say you've got one hour and you promise something good on the other side, like that will help kids sit still. You're not every time defaulting to this only works for neurotypical kids, right? I have three kids, two could do it and one would struggle with it. I We've talked a lot about kids who are, well, put these kind of scaffoldings in place. We know for our kids, those wouldn't work. We've talked mm -hmm. about people who say they'll eat when they're hungry. Mm, we've both had kids who will not eat when they're hungry. And I know kids who are food restricted to the point where they only eat three different foods and that's peanut butter only if it's the right consistency and brand. Right. That's not jiffy peanut butter. That's only skippy, non-crunchy, right? And so 
Oh, sometimes this advice, I think that it is difficult to speak to everyone's experience. Roxanne Gay says this all the time. You may not hear your experience reflected in what I am saying, but that doesn't mean I'm invalidating your experience. But it can be really difficult. It can be, you receive this as invalidating your experience, right? So that's why this is hard. So let's talk about a little bit what kinds of kids we might be talking about. Okay. Kids who have developmental delays, kids who have intellectual or physical differences or disabilities, kids who have particularly unique temperaments, kids who speak English as a second language, kids who have food allergies, kids who are highly sensitive, whether that means sensitive to light or emotionally sensitive, kids who have mental health diagnoses. This list could go on for months, but there are lots of reasons where typical parenting advice may not work for your kid. A kid who has a mental health diagnosis, who you say like, you know, always remain consistent in your rules, the rules actually might have to change depending on where that kid is day to day or overall in their journey. And so there's lots of examples of this. I wanted to also talk about some manifestations, some of which we are familiar with and some of which we are less familiar with in terms of behavior. Kids who operated extremes, so very needy, very withdrawn, very loud, very quiet. So these are kids for many different reasons who function at extremes. Kids who struggle with communication. So could be a speech delay, could be rambling or interrupting in conversation, difficulty understanding nonverbal cues like facial expressions. Selective mutism, a kid who really can't wish Uncle Joe Merry Christmas because... She can't. Can't wish Uncle Joe a Merry Christmas or can't wish Uncle Joe a Merry Christmas without also doing 35 minutes on the Marvel canon, you know, and how each category fits into it. Lots of versions of this. Slow developing or delayed motor skills. So clumsiness, difficulty in performing simple tasks, including buttoning, getting dressed. And so for these kids, it's like, yeah, I get them involved in sports. That might not be the outlet for a kid. Sensitivity to loud noises, irritated by touch and smell, bothered by wind, brightness of the sun, beach sand. We had somebody in the family with a bad reaction to beach sand. Undersensitivity may also be an issue. Kids who twirl or spin, like to run around naked, roll in the mud or the dirt, that tends to be signs of- Or bouncing on the bench at the restaurant and they're bothering the lady sitting next to you. Yep, yep. Lots of bouncing. Yes, undersensitivity. And then obsessing, playing same games over and over again, with or without variance. And so- this is, we've talked about this, there is a spectrum of all things. And there is a spectrum of behavior that is like, my kid is so quirky that they're into magnetic fields, even though they're only five. <laughs> and that's a form of quirkiness. But there is also another end of the spectrum where my kid is quirky while other kids are engaging in a birthday party. My kid is unplugging and plugging the vacuum in the corner. And that seems unusual to the other parents and or unusual to the other kids. And or my kid is in the corner covering their ears and screaming at the top of their lungs because they know that happy birthday is going to get sung and that does not work for them. Yeah. And so 
I thought as we, you know, continue to make the podcast and talk about all sorts of different things, that to take an episode out and talk a little bit more about, okay, if we're saying, because I think a lot of the things we're saying, and we'll talk about this as well, lots of parenting advice still works. And I mean, I have a kid who is quite a bit off of the mold and lots of solid parenting advice works for all kids. Mm -hmm. And I think that in general, finding ways to challenge your own kid is good. Finding ways to have your kid behave in a way that is their best behavior is always good. It doesn't mean like, well, listen, if you've got a kid who we just mentioned, forget all everything we've ever said because it doesn't apply. I think there's also a fat part of the bell curve of advice. Mm -hmm. that, right. Some of it applies some of the time. And the other pain point I'm thinking like, okay, you have a kid who can't handle it when people sing happy birthday, which people do sing in a weirdly loud voice. Wouldn't you agree? Like everybody goes like, happy. People kind of yell it in this weird way. <laughs> I think that if you have a kid who can't handle hearing happy birthday and it's a family party, then everybody can accommodate that, right? And the aunts and uncles know like, okay, we're not going to do that. We're going to sing it really quietly. We're going to sing it later, whatever. And that's no big deal. And then you also have a kid who is sometimes going to be out in the world at Chuck E. Cheese and someone who's going to start singing happy birthday. And what do you do then? You are still a parent who needs advice. That's right. And there may be times where universal advice fits for those kind of situations, the happy birthday. And there may be times where you need really different advice. <laughs> right. And I think there also may be times where the universal advice is harmful. And I want to talk about those examples when we get back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? Say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches. I get cranky and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to saying optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. 
crisp and refreshing without any sugar. This is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate. Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H dot com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health, and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use fresh to get $100 off your lumen. That is l-u-m-e-n dot m-e, lumen.me, and use the code fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. So we were talking before the break about feeling left out by advice that doesn't fit, feeling, you know, othered, by advice that doesn't fit. And I think that there can also be times where advice that doesn't fit can be actually harmful. So let's talk about that. One example is I have a kid on the spectrum and there's a school of thought around autism spectrum disorders that The goal of treatment for autism spectrum disorders is to make a child present as neurotypical, that that is the top of the mountain of the advice. That school of thought is going a bit out of style and that a metaphor that people sometimes use, and I will say this is me talking as me, I'm not citing research here, but there there are parallels made, especially by actually autistic people, that this would be the same as trying to do like gay conversion therapy to say that like actually to be a functioning member of society, you must be extremely masculine presenting if you are a male and extremely feminine presenting if you are a female. And making that the goal in the same way as making the peach crayon the goal, it just naturally excludes people. Right. You're, you're, fl- you're flaunting your homosexuality. I'm not saying this. I'm quoting this. I just was watching a documentary last night about people in the 80s. Like, he never flaunted his homosexuality, by which they meant he never acted like himself, <laughs> like himself in front of us. Yes. Don't flaunt your autism. And I think that this is an area where in that parenting advice tries is societally based, which in some ways is appropriate, right? Like a kid running around a fancy restaurant grabbing food off of other people's plates is unacceptable to us as a society. We have decided that. I was recently <laughs> at a showing of Mission Impossible 
at 8 p.m. and the people next to us had an 18-month-old with them who chatted throughout the movie, cried at different occasions, and then at some point, in order to calm the baby, they put the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse on an iPad without headphones. And we were just sort of like, we're outside the social contract here, people. Like, I don't want to yuck your yum, but no, this is not acceptable. And you weren't like, excuse me, I host a popular parenting podcast, and I just wanted to say, you might want to listen to our episode. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> No, you did none of those things. You told me you just were annoyed and watched the movie. You're like, there's nothing I could do here. We tried glaring, but then, yeah, it was one of those dilemmas of like, right? okay, they've already brought an 18-month-old to Mission Impossible. They're not really, yeah. they've already broken the social contract. And so do we now want to get into the like 20-minute fight of take your baby out? No, how dare you? This is my baby. And then we're fighting and then everybody misses the movie and then we miss the movie. And then best case scenario... The baby gets taken out and then they hate us for the rest of the movie and it's awkward. We just couldn't quite figure it out. So anyway, we just sort of instead of the whole way home where we were like, that was crazy. But getting back to our example of like, I think it's always worth examining whether our social constructs work for all people. An example uh, for kids on the spectrum is eye contact, right? That eye contact is part of our social construct, that looking people in the eyes is considered polite professional. It's considered something that we should train our children to do. Look at Mrs. Wilson when she's talking to you, right? That's something that's it. Mm -hmm. It is a classic trait of autism that kids and adults on the autism spectrum struggle with eye contact, that it is overload, sensory overload for them. So it is worth examining whether or not the advice of you should make eye contact with people is worthwhile. And here is JJ McLeod writing for The Mighty about her son with autism and talking about how she gets a lot of advice on how to cure her son of autism. So much advice comes from the pervasive idea that autism needs to be cured. I don't want to medicate my son or make strict diet changes to make him easier to manage. I don't want him to sleepwalk through life because meltdowns are embarrassing and frustrating. His meltdowns are an indication of a deeper and often unseen problem of anxiety control or sensory issues. They are something to be understood, not cured. Some things associated with autism, such as self-harm, are absolutely important to address and can't be ignored, but it doesn't mean we're curing him. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is where we get into problems around like, here's how it is important to make your kids sit still, for example, in the instance we've used before. There are many kids, and this is something we're figuring out in education. I have a kid who has a wiggle board at school, so they literally don't have to sit still. It's a board that goes on their chair that lets them wiggle back and forth, and it's slightly less distracting than, you know, banging your chair. But yeah, but it also, because I know about this, sometimes making such a child sit still, make eye contact, look at the teacher the whole time, that makes a kid who is less able to pay attention than if you just let him have a wiggle board. If he's a wiggle board, he can listen in his own way, which might not look like listening to you, but is. I had a child who used to really kind of like roll around in the back of the classroom when they were little. And this one teacher just found it so funny. It's like, I can call on this kid at any time and they know exactly what they're doing. 
and and to me, it's presenting as paying no attention. They're totally paying attention. So this teacher's very gracious solution for this kid was put this kid in the back so they're not distracting the other kids. And then I just check in every once in a while and absolutely they're paying attention. But when I tried to put this kid right up front next to me and sitting next to me, looking at me sitting still, because that's what paying attention would be like for me. It was a disaster. Right, because they're, they're putting all their attention and sitting still. Let's imagine that you have 100 units of attention and that to learn the planets, you need 90 units of attention. But if you are being asked to sit still and sitting still takes 80 units of attention for you, (laughs) you don't have enough units left to learn the planets. That's right. But even that kid, you know, I'm speaking for my own kid in that situation, even that kid, there are times when he has to sit still and maybe it's not in class to learn. And maybe it is. It's such a hard thing because it can't be like nobody can ever have an expectation of my child because my child lives outside the expectations of the world. But that child is now what? 18, right? And they're sitting still much easier than when they were six also, right? I think that sometimes it's a question of ages and stages, which brings me to my next... Or that making them sit still is not as important, right? When the, when a kid like that is in college, nobody's going to be like, can you please stop? Well, I think it's the old, like, are you judging a fish by its ability to ride a bicycle versus its ability to swim? Because I think that I had a kid, oh my gosh, their preschool was like, he doesn't sit on the blue square. Like it's blue square sitting time and he doesn't sit on the blue square. And Basically, like they failed out of preschool because that was the only metric that was important to the preschool teacher is whether you sat on the blue square. Now, this kid also was reading and writing at three, you know, could spell the word strawberry at two and a half, but they didn't slid on the blue square. I think the question (laughs) is trying to approach a whole child as opposed to getting so limited in what skills are important that you are... You're missing strengths for weaknesses. Amy, I have a quote for you. Mm -hmm. It's from Lawrence Steinberg, PhD. Oh, I love Lawrence Steinberg. The same drive for independence that is making your three-year-old say no all the time is what's motivating him to be toilet trained. The same intellectual growth spurt that is making your 13-year-old curious and inquisitive in the classroom is also making her argumentative at the dinner table. Inject that directly into my veins. That is such a huge paradigm shift for me. Yeah. Their irritating behaviors are developmentally appropriate because they're evidence of them getting to the next stage. And these are kind of positive takes on it. But I also think that your child who is covering their ears and screaming when all the three-year-olds are delighted that Chucky the Rat has just arrived to sing and dance. Charles Entertainment Cheese. Charles Entertainment Cheese has arrived to do his (laughs) funny dance. That your child who is on the spectrum or sensitive or fearful, that's a terrifying thing to them. That's also serving them in different ways that like seeing both sides of any picture is much more important than eliminating any specific behavior. So like eliminating the behavior of don't you ever argue with me. It's like you're fighting that's making them learn too. And so Mm. fighting the thing of like, you are never allowed to scream is maybe stopping you from seeing the solution that like parents who have kids on the spectrum are quite 
familiar with of we're going to go to the birthday party and we're going to go up to the mom as soon as we walk in and say, here's the thing. Well, we're going to need a heads up if a rat is about to appear or anyone is about to start singing. Right. And some things happen unexpectedly, but... My amazing kid, who is super sensitive and that gives him a lot of good skills, is not going to handle it well when the rat pops up. So it's seeing that this is communication and that these skills have good sides and bad sides. I feel like that is a very good piece of parenting advice for those for whom typical parenting advice might not fit that you need to sort of, that's a perfect thing you could do to sort of make the other people in a situation aware without asking them to like not have Chuck E. Cheese come because your kid might not like it, right? There's a gray area between your kid has a change for the world and your world has a change for the kid, which is like, can you help me with this one thing? And I think both things can be true that like a world in which my child in a wheelchair cannot participate in 14 of the 15 travel camp activities is unacceptable. A world in which everybody is okay with my kids screaming at the top of their lungs in quiet places is also probably not going to happen. And so there is another fat part of a bell curve where like, where can we bring our kids in? And where can we push the world to accommodate our children better? And that finding those balances, I think is super, super important. And I think I probably tend a little too much to like, I'm going to make my kid fit the world and I'm going to push my kid with differences to thrive. I also have a kid with differences who has those abilities. You know, I mean, I read somewhere and I, I should have made a note of it, but it was talking about how some t teachers, like how teachers can deal with kids who have differences. And she said, and I thought it was really interesting and I hadn't thought about it this way. It's sometimes the kids who are closest to functional who we are hardest on because a kid who you can see a very clear difference, you're going to, because most people are fairly decent, you're going to go out of your way to say like, oh, okay, you have a limb difference here, which will make it hard for you to do this very particular activity. I will go out of my way to accommodate you. Look at me doing it. It's great. Whereas a kid who has like an attention difference that's a harder thing to lock into, you're going to have a harder time constantly being accepting of a difference that is a little subtler, mm -hmm. which is hard. I have a thought about that. Let's take a break. I have a response that might help. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer 
protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. And now, what we say about our quirky kids versus what we mean. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. We say, this kid loves a deep dive. We mean, if you start a conversation with my guy, prepare to hear about the preferred cuisines of literally every world capital. Not familiar with Bastiki? You will be soon. We say, he's so spirited. We mean, he's a biter. Back off if you're attached to your fingers. We say, she is a unique student. We mean, I get a lot of calls from the principal's office. Like a lot. <laughs> We're on a first name basis. We say, yeah, she is doing sports. We mean, yeah, that's her, standing in the outfield, dressed as Darth Vader, and completely ignoring the ball, the coach, and all the other players. We say, we wouldn't change a thing about them. We mean, we wouldn't change a thing about them. This has been what we say about our quirky kids versus what we mean about our quirky kids. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. So Beth Leipholz was on the show a couple months ago. She is Beth and Coop on Instagram, and she has a, a children's book called The ABCs of Inclusion. And what I loved about that book is that it showed differences. Every kid in the book had a difference. Mm -hmm. Some were visible and some were invisible. And this sort of takeaway of the book 
for me was like, right, every kid is a difference. Every kid is a difference. Like the flesh crayon applies to kind of nobody. There's at least in 2023, we're starting to understand that every kid is different and no kid is 100% fat bell curve. And I think that helps for like mindset. I think it does. I also think there's a slight pushback in, I think of Virginia Soul Smith. We were talking about existing in a bigger body and that one of the things was, you know, if they're doing like they weigh your kid at school. And I kind of said, oh, we don't do that kind of stuff. Like we just turn that kind of thing down because I've thought a lot about weight stuff. And she said, yes, but it is easier for a person who appears to be more standard size to do that than a person in a bigger body. And I am a person in a kind of medium body. I'm not, you know, I don't think Mm -hmm. whatever the categories is, I understood that that I'm on one side of that spectrum as a fairly like a slightly larger but athletic looking person. And that is more challenging than a person who is in a bigger body to for me to say I'm not going to do it is different for them to say. Yeah. And I think similarly, yes, everybody is different, but like my kid likes the Ramones is and has a mohawk is different than like my kid screams and rocks during family events. You know, that the difference is, yes, everybody has a difference, but it is different for people for whom they are way outside the fat part of the bell curve, I would say. Yeah. Right. And that's who we're talking about. Like, where do you find advice and how do you sort of set aside the they're not talking about my kid, I guess. Here is some advice from Sarah Lyons, who we were talking about earlier from One Size Doesn't Fit All, her article. First thing, and I think this is the key, and we've all done this. Do your research, figure out your child's temperament, and find advice that fits your child. I pulled a couple of examples of books that we've talked about that And a lot of these people have been guests on our podcast. Hopefully, if they haven't been, we will get them on. The number one book that I think about for this topic is Far From the Tree, the Andrew Solomon book that we've talked about a lot. It changed my whole perspective on like life, parenting, everything. It is about kids. The idea is the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but what if it does? These are kids who have significant differences from their parents. And how their parents are dealing with that, right? Like it's, it's definitely not about how to make your kid more like you, but how to become more accepting of a child whose lived reality is completely separate from yours. Yeah. And it's much more of like an anthropological book than a, it's not an advice book at all. It's a study. But I thought it was super interesting and, and gave me a lot of interesting ways to think about this. The Explosive Child, Dr. Ross Green, we've talked about that one a lot. Not what I... Expected is a book by Rita Eichenstein and Daniel Siegel, and then Differently Wired, Debbie Reber, who we have had on the podcast. Next point from Sarah Lyons, do a self-check. This is a two-way street. And we talk about this a lot with the kind of generic advice, and I think it's really interesting. In order to deal with your child's temperament, it's important to understand your own temperament. And I think, and we have talked about this as well, There is a reckoning and an acceptance phase about having a child who has differences that we underestimate the amount of work it takes. Mm -hmm. Right. And how painful it is when somebody expects kids to be able to do something that your kid can't do, like that second arrow. I think that's part of the process for the parent. And that acceptance is a huge part. I know for myself on my own journey, like 
I had somebody early on when my child was very young kind of say, well, this is your kid and this is what they'll never do and what they can't do. And it kind of put me back on my heels. And I was like, that's not my kid. And I stayed in that place for way too long of like, this is who my kid is and isn't. That I found out in the long term doesn't really matter. Like, what does your kid need today, tomorrow, next week is more important than like, what do people think this is? What are the words? Are there stigmas? Like just figuring out like what we need to be doing here is what's ever best for this kid next. Mm-hmm. I think teamwork is, this is her third point. I think it's really important getting on the same page, especially with spouse, caregivers, mothers, mothers-in-law, fathers, fathers-in-law who may think that the most important thing in the world is sitting still through a funeral. Like for some people, And that can be another whole reckoning, which is I am going to reject my need to be accepted by my mother in order to make this situation better for my kid. Yeah. I mean, I think about trans kids and even going back to Beth Leipold's, like some people think her kids shouldn't have cochlear implants, that that's a betrayal to the deaf community. And some people think like, if when he doesn't have his implants, why why doesn't he have implants? And like, she feels like she needs to do what's right for her kid. But that means being okay with people thinking you're not doing it right and doing it anyway. Sure. And I definitely think as you leave the fat part of the bell curve, you get more into opinions and advice about how it should be done. I think that that's right. That like the more you, because the communities are maybe smaller, more vocal, lots of opinions, right? That like, if you have a limb difference, like wearing a prosthetic is great or terrible. (laughs) And many different people are weighing in. And so, and sometimes you're trying to find community and then you get into that community and the opinions are very strong. And right, there's lots of people who say lots of things and seeking out, I think this self-check part is so, so crucial. Yeah. Here's another set of advice from Dana Bosu, who we've quoted for sure before on the podcast. Okay. Try to pinpoint what makes your child different, which can be different than a diagnosis, right? So like there's an old expression, if you've met one kid with autism, you've met one kid with autism. So pinpointing like, okay, my child has an autism diagnosis, but what's the problems that we're seeing? Is that a problem with independence? Some kids with autism, extremely independent. Some kids, not so much. Is it a problem with aggression? Some kids with autism, aggression, some none, right? Some kids with mental health diagnoses, aggressive, some none. Do they struggle with peers? Like try to really dial in on what is going on with your kid, not what is going on with kids with autism. I'm making quotey fingers. Yeah, yeah. And I think when you're just saying this kid has problems with aggression, problems with independence, like again, also like whose problem is it? Is it the problem your kid is having or the problems other people are having with your kid? I remember talking to someone when my kiddo was first diagnosed and it was, and they said that to me, if it's, it's not a problem until it's a problem for you and your family. And I thought that's good advice. Like it's a problem. And that problem might mean like, to me, it's a problem if We spent a lot of time traveling, a lot of time on planes. Like it was a priority for me to figure out how to get 
my young sensitive kid onto a plane without it being an absolute nightmare experience. Again, that's something that my child was able to do and able to accommodate. If that had not been, then the problem would have been how to find a location where we're most comfortable and we can see the most people the most parts of the time. Defining the problem is really important in order to define the solution. Mm -hmm. Find a community. This is great. It's actually easier nowadays, I think. Like, there's a book for you. There's a community for you. You may find a community that is, this is the exact definition of yourkid.com, and you may find that those are not your people. Like, yeah, find the community that works for you. Yeah. Trust yourself. My kid needs to be independent may not be good advice for a kid that wanders off, right? I had one of my kids was a runner. I knew every gated playground. So people may say like, it's really important for a six-year-old to be able to find their way home from the park. That's not good advice for a kid who does not know to stay out of the street. Like you can't, don't try to make your kid fit advice that doesn't fit them. Right. And that's the part of the work that's just for you. Like, just say, okay, that's not for me. That's not meant for my kid. I'm going to spend zero time feeling bad about that or, or, or mad that that person who's never met my kid is ruining my day by saying a kid should be allowed to walk home by themselves. Right. And if you have a family member who thinks the most important thing a kid could ever do is walk up to people and greet them with a handshake and eye contact, you may have to say, that's not our kid. This is how my kid greets people, and it's not that way. Mm -hmm. And then the final piece of advice that I push back on a little bit is advocate for your family. I think that's right. Anybody with an IEP for their kid knows it involves a lot of advocacy, and you have to fight for the right services for your kid. You have to fight for the right for your trans kid to be included. Whatever the fight is, you're in it by the virtue of having that kid and we've had a lot of people say they're kind of accidental activists, whether having a black kid in a school that is primarily white and figuring out like how to make your culture and your voice heard in that situation. I will say, I think sometimes this is really intimidating for parents and like, I was very much somebody who resisted like, oh, I don't want to be a special needs warrior mom. I just want to get through the day. I just want to be able to get on a plane. I just want to be able to do these things I want to be able to do. But I got a job. I got two other kids. I got a husband. I got hobbies. I got a busy social life. Like, I don't want to put on a cape and become a superhero. I just want to get through the day. And I think that sometimes the like, you're your child's greatest and only advocate that like the advice for moms is like, figure it out, but really take care of yourself. And then the advice for special needs moms is like, get your cape on. You got to go to work. And then right. think of nothing else ever. Right. Think of nothing else ever because <laughs> your new job is change the world. And right. I think that you can also reject that advice too. You can also just get through the days like any other mom. You can have good days and bad days like any other mom. You don't necessarily have to become Captain Save the World because your kid has a diagnosis. You could just find your way through and make the best of every day. You solved it. You really did solve it this time. Solved it. Been there, done that. And I've been in the outside part of the fat part. And I know that a lot of my friends and peers and colleagues have been way outside the fat part of the bell curve. And 
it's hard out there. And for those times that we have spoken and excluded people in our audience, you know, it's something that we try to think about. It's something that we try to work on. And I apologize for the times that that's happened. And, you know, you can always write to us on our Facebook page, reach out to us, info at whatfreshhealthpodcast.com, and let us know. Like, hey, as Amy said, she was responsive and receptive to the thing of like, yeah, that I get that that worked for your kids at a funeral, but like might not it have worked work for mine. That. Right. Listen, do we get a moment of like, well, we're trying our best. Yes, we do. But it is useful to hear that kind of feedback to try to keep expanding our voice and the people that we're talking to. Yes. Very, very well said. Well, I'll give a brief shout out to What Fresh Hell Plus. If you love this show, if you want to hear bonus episodes, if you want to hear ad-free episodes, our entire archive, you can sign up for What Fresh Hell Plus. How do you do that? Go to the link in the show notes for this episode or go to our Instagram, which is What Fresh Hell Cast, and you can tap the link in the bio. Those are the two easiest ways to get there. So sign up. Check us out. Bonus content, <laughs> no ads. And with that, friends, we will talk to you next time. So long. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us, 